Third Person Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Milhouse, and I am joined by my co-host, as always, Mr. Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great today. You know, can't complain. It's a little uh, dreary out in New York, but otherwise, uh, that fall weather is feeling good, man. What's going on out there? Is it bad weather? Uh, it's a little rainy, a little uh, overcast, but uh, overall, not too shabby. Uh, I know that... Um, Things are starting to get a little bit worse with the numbers here, but overall, I think we're doing okay still. So I'm I'm trying to remain positive and optimistic. What happened? We we're we're going down. Yeah, we're going down the numbers a little bit. Um, so they're going to starting to shut down certain areas as far as like indoor dining already, like certain parts of Brooklyn and Queens out here in New York. Um, I think some gyms and things are are going to close in those same areas. Um, we'll see. We will see. People wear them. Uh, I, I, th- I, I thought you meant our podcast was going down in numbers. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's going up because of everybody that's listening right now. Y'all are sharing it. I, I ask that you continue to do that. That would be great. We love you for it. Uh, give us five stars. Uh, make sure you subscribe and download uh, if you haven't already. Man, we've just uh, we've got some great feedback. Leave us some comments. Uh, add us both on social media, at Daryl C. Hammond. I'm at Chris Milhouse. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we've got a great guest today, Daryl. We've got just a killer, killer interview lined up, which I'm excited about. you excited? Um, yeah, I was just remembering the time I saw him do stand-up in Vegas and was not aware that he did stand-up, and then I saw him do stand-up, and he annihilated. Oh, man, he's, he's great. And we're going uh, to have to talk to him more about Vegas and stand-up uh, altogether. So uh, what do you say we bring him on? Sure. Our guest today is the the great Brad Garrett. Uh, let's see if we can get him on here. Hello, Brad. I'm going to have to call you back. Is that okay? I'm sorry. We're starting. I'm with Daryl Hammond and Chris Milhouse. I'm shitting myself. I'll call you back. I'll call you back. The car's still a piece of shit. Thanks for the help. I'll call you back. Hello. Hello, buddy. We can't see you, but we can hear you. You can't see me. That's even better. Yeah. Um, this is strange. This is strange. I just tested it. Um, I have my camera. Okay. What do I need to do? Uh, uh, click on video and say start video. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. I'm I'm horrible with this stuff. So hey, there he is. Yeah. yeah. What did Daryl leave already? Yeah, he was over it. He said, "You know what? He's taking too fucking long." The fucking patience of him. Where, where did he go? <laughs> Hey, there he is. Hey, there he is. Oh, my God. One of yeah. my fucking heroes. How are who are you? Just, who are you just talking to? On the, was that on the phone? I'll be honest with you. I have, uh, you know, I have a few problems, Daryl. You know, you're not the only one. Mm. And uh, uh, I was having trouble with an automobile. And uh, it's been in a few times. And I don't want to, you know, say what it Bentley. And um, I, I just, uh, they had trouble fixing it. And so now they think it's right. Wasn't a big thing. The car just turned off as I was driving on the highway for the last couple of years. But this is a sign that I uh, uh, I have a spending problem, which I think is part oh. of my uh, part of my thing. But anyway, it's it's good to see you. And Chris, how are you? Hey, nice to meet you, Brad. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Uh, of course, everybody knows you as an actor, but also really brilliant, funny stand-up comic. Well. Hey. You know, you gotta, dis- you gotta get funny, d- despite despite what Ken Gar says about you, uh, very. Forget funny. Ken Gar, him I love. Now, he's funny. 
he's my he's my good buddy, man. I I um he's the I, best. I know we don't, uh, you and I don't know each other, uh, per se, but, um, I've been in stand up for 15 years and, uh, I used to live in LA for a long time. Now I'm in New York. And, uh, one of my favorite things about our mutual buddy, Ken Gar was just to bust his balls just relentlessly on so stage. So much fun. Yeah. It's so good. He's such a great So guy. much fun. Well, you have to come to Vegas and work the club sometime. Oh, I absolutely. Afford, I can't afford Daryl, but maybe you could show footage of him. You know what? Here's what he's going to, he could do a guest set when I headline. So it's fine. Uh, why not? <laughs> Daryl, uh, how are you, man? Good. I'm hanging in there, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for this. It's uh, really a pleasure. Uh, I've been a fan for so long, and after seeing your uh, your special, your documentary, it's kind of a little of both. I was just uh, blown away at, uh, at at your life and and how the fuck you got through all that. Oh, yeah. Well, um, we could do that on another podcast, but... Um, I asked for help and I had, um, I had great health insurance because of all those years on SNL. That's how I got through it. I just kept asking people for help and I'm still a little fucking batty. You know, I'm still a little loopy. I hope so. Well, you got to hold on to some of that, but I always talk about that. You know, I've got this, uh, you know, I got a couple of, couple of friends in the attic. And, uh, you know, I was raised around a lot of uh, mental illness and I always tell Did you do, did you do therapy in your life? Uh, I, I'm in group therapy alone. That's how okay. much therapy I've done. <laughs> yeah. I started therapy when I was about nine and, uh, had a session, uh, Thursday. So last, so it's working and I'm 51 years in it. And, uh, that's what really, really helped me with my, uh, you know, substance issues but what a nice career. I mean, I saw you do stand-up in Vegas one time, and you annihilated, and you... Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's so funny. You must have been going through certain things, you know, if, sure. if you're from... Well, you started, you started very young, Brad. I mean, that was, uh, I saw you, uh, you were run... You, you won Star Search when you were younger. Yes, I did. Back I was, in the uh, day. Back in the day. When I was yeah. 24, and, uh, uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I really had no right winning that. I, <laughs> I really didn't. That's what's great about Star Search. Uh, it's like uh, the presidency. Anyone can win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, beat guys, I beat guys that I would, you know, go see in the club. And I just got lucky that night. I got lucky. You know, you had a minute and a half on Star Search. So, you know, your opening was almost your club. Am I boring you, Daryl? Because we can go to the next guest. <laughs> no, I was just okay. trying to think of my, my Star Search story. It was lackluster. Oh, I got to hear it. No, it was lackluster compared to yours. No, I, no, no. But it was, it was mine probably was before the, that last night. But, but tell me, what year were you on? I can't remember. It was so long ago. Right, right. I, I, uh, I, I did one set. It went right. quite well. I got back for a second set. Second set didn't go so great. I mean, when you when you have ninety seconds, if you it, sure. if, if you take a couple of stumbles in the first thirty seconds, yeah. it's really hard to bring it, swing it back around. You know, and yeah. that's what happened to me in my second spot. Do I don't know, like how you guys are bragging about how you had a minute and a half of material. Okay, like I've got thirty seconds at best. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tell you, I don't. You know, I'm not known for my material. Um, you, you know, to be honest, I just I hack it up with the front row. That's really all I have. I've always, you know, when I, when I started as an opening act and things weren't really working, I said, well, you know what? I'm angry. I'm insecure. Let me take it out on that guy. And that's kind of how my, my style started. 
and uh, and and it was you know there were things feeding me at the time uh, that that probably shouldn't have been. But what was so crazy was uh, there was a time I was opening for Sinatra when he didn't have long. You know, I always ended up uh, opening for different acts, and people would make fun of me because the acts I was like they would die, they would die. You know, they, they, I, I was like, I felt like the grim reaper of opening acts, but I was with Sammy, he passed. I was with Frank, he passed. Um, I was with Liza Minnelli, they should have killed her. So <laughs> it, it's like, there were always, you know, I was like you know, the grim reaper, but Frank, God bless, whatever, he called me Greg Barrett. Uh, the whole year I toured with him and my mom who would come to once in a while. I only had to come to one show and then I had to stop it because, boop, boop, you know, and she would, she would go to me. And she would go, why don't you just tell him, Frank, I'm Brad. I'm not Greg. You know, she always wanted me killed, my mother. It's like she would set me up for things that were dangerous. And this is, so I go to Jilly, you know, which, which was Frank's guy. And I said, Mr. Rizzo, you know, my mom's coming to, to the show tonight. And, um, I need her to be kept out of the show. <laughs> I said, is there any way that Mr. Sinatra can just uh, uh, call, call me by my real name? And he goes, it's not Greg Barrett. And I said, uh, <laughs> well, what is it? And I said, it's, it's Brad Garrett. And he goes, are you having a good time on the tour? Because if not, we'll get Tommy Dreesen back. <laughs> Personally, I don't care. But all Frank has to remember I'm not going to go to him and go, remember, it's Brad Garrett. He can't remember the summer wind. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it, it was Greg Barrett and my mom came backstage and, and wanted to talk to Frank's people. And uh, after that, <laughs> I, I went around two, uh, two years until we saw each other. Did, <clears throat> did she talk to Frank's people? No, I didn't get her anywhere. You, you know, you had to really run uh, uh, a button hook whenever my mom was backstage. You had to really have some type of plan to kind of, uh, a good woman, very, very, uh, you know, very out there. You know, a sweetheart, and I'm sure, you know, she says all of my success was because of her. <laughs> one of those, one of those. But she was, you know, it's like, um, when I was, I opened for Steve and Edie, uh, part of my uh, uh comeuppance for the life I lived. And I figured, well, you know, what kind of damage can my mom do in Edie? So I'm doing my, you know, my hacky act and, and, and she stands up in the middle of it. She goes, that is not true. He never, he never did that. So it was that type of, and in those days it's a dinner show. So the spotlight goes on my mom and she's 60 and she's wearing a decollete top with the sequence and her, her, you know, 65 year old, Blouse clowns are hanging out of her top. And it was, so I have her backstage. I can't, I said, mom, wait here. We'll go have dinner. I want to meet Steve and Edie. I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to, we're going to just wait here. In line. I'm not waiting in line. I said, we're going to wait here. So I go to change and look for an exit. And um, <laughs> we can't find my mom. I don't know where my mom, and you know, she wasn't really one that would take, you know, take off herself. There's a lot of fear, bless her heart. A great woman, a lot of fear. I can't find her. And the next thing I know, security is taking her out of Steve Lawrence's dressing room. <laughs> removing her from Steve Lawrence's, you know, and Edie comes out, what's going on? Who is this woman? You know, and I'm like, how would I know? 
type of thing. But this was, um, this was, uh, you know what's amazing, Daryl? And thank you for piping up. Um, I have hibiscus in my fucking yard, and I may have to take them out because it reminds me of your childhood home. Yeah. Isn't that weird how you see things? And, I, and every time I look at it, I know this sounds douchey, but I think of you. And I'm like, I, I couldn't do the hibiscus. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, for years, I wondered if, if that was a figment of my imagination. But when my parents passed, my sister found a box of photos and there were pictures of me and my dad sitting on the ground next to a hibiscus bush. Um, yeah. And that turned out basically to be the thing that this doctor who's ahead of his time by a hundred years was able to figure out what, what had happened, you know? Yeah. And we really um, had some amazing people uh, uh, that you found, um, but all out of you asking for help, which is something that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone convinced me very early on that um, your success or failure on earth is going to be your ability to ask for help because there's always some, you know, when you grow up in a house like mine, you, you, don't, you look, you go out, come out of there modeling their behavior. Well, you know, modeling their behavior and man, I didn't learn shit. And there was always this new shit to learn, Yeah, you know, yeah. um, that I didn't get when I was growing up there. But, um, I appreciate you saying that, but uh, yeah. the, the director of the film, Michelle Ezrick, is the genius. I mean, she's the one that made the great movie. If it wasn't a great movie, it'd be a fucking disaster. And uh, can I ask how you found that director? Did you pick her? Did she find you? Because that's the key I, in something like that. I had casually known her and uh, in the diner and 12-step meetings and cool. stuff like that. And um, one day I've... I found out she directed a film about a guy named Wavy Gravy, and then she asked me and convinced me that if we did this movie, that people could get helped by it. Yeah. You know, so they were starting to use it as before COVID. The children's yeah. advocacy centers um, were using it to help with fundraising. And to be honest with you, I like the idea of helping somebody. I mean, I've been yeah. selfish a lot of my life, you know, and I, I just like the idea. You should see all the messages he gets, by the way. He gets a ton of messages from not only people that say, hey, you know, we love you, but sure. a lot of people that said, hey, your story helped me. You know, I finally realized, you know, this, this, and this. It's, yeah. it's overwhelming yeah. how many great messages he gets. So it's, it, the movie's just so brilliantly done. And if anybody's yeah. listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, please go look on Netflix. It's called Cracked Up. It's a great yeah. uh, Netflix documentary about Daryl. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable, and uh, it's so needful right now. And 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 I think it's it's, it's especially the during the pandemic, man. Especially during the oh, pandemic, man. you know. You know, I got friends that are really, really struggling right now. That are trying to hold on to their sobriety. That are relapsing. Uh, people that suffer from depression. The the you know that that are alone anyway, and depression feeds on on loneliness and, and feeling captive, and. And, yeah, absolutely, you know, man. The absolutely. struggle, the yeah. struggle that's happening. So when you see something like what you did, you, you, you know, your comedy has always been a gift. I mean, I used to watch you on SNL, and I, I would want to go put my head in the oven. 
you know, because <laughs> really to me, because I started doing impressions and I had three and, you know, it was, I was. What were, what were the three? It's not important. Oh, it's important. Um, yes, it's important. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was uh, uh, Cosby, you know, before the raping. And, uh, <laughs> it's it was, good to put that disclaimer. In sure. <laughs> and it was Herman Munster, which I, I have the, you know, the look for. And uh, <laughs> I'm a little worried about Eddie. I'm a little worried about Eddie. <laughs> I'm doing an impression for Daryl Hammond. Which well, it, was really, it was Fred yeah. Gwynn. Fred it was, Gwynn. It was Fred Gwynn, exactly. Oh, my um, God. Was but, that amazing? But, um, I forgot about that. Yeah, but uh, but anyway. So, but, but when you go to the other, the other end and you show yourself who you are, it, it, you know, it sounds corny, but when you're successful and in the public eye and you end up showing your vulnerability and that transparency, I'm telling you, you know, when I started talking about my sobriety and my addiction and all my shit, um, you know, even though I don't, I don't have a mass following and it's not about that, just a small amount of people that reached out, it, it just feels so good because, you know, at the, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we kind of all in the beginning before we got fucked and jaded, I think we all got into show business to to soothe, to soothe ourselves, to soothe others, to make them to be loved, to make up for the shit we didn't get. Um, and, you know, when, when it hits another level of it's it's really helping someone that's really, really struggling. It's when you go, oh, oh, this is a. Uh, what it's about. I, I have my own podcast that's uh, 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 called No Prisoners, and and it's all about mental wellness and and uh, comics that are uh, uh, people. Uh, very few people in showbiz because a lot of them don't want to come on and talk about their struggles or 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 their issues with mental health. But we talk to a lot of people. Not a lot of people. About eleven. I have about eleven people. Okay. I don't know how you start a podcast, but it's it's very difficult. How long have you done this, Daryl? We just actually we just started this recently. Ah, yeah, this Are is you our. Join it, Daryl. Except for today. <laughs> I I I I um, am so new to it. It takes me about twenty minutes just to realize. Hey, you don't have to do anything. You you know what comedy is. You know how to talk to these guys. Just enjoy yourself, and then typically it seems to go pretty well for me. Yeah. Um, that's a nice way of saying I, I do all the heavy lifting. Um, sure. sure. <laughs> well, that, that's a given. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a knucklehead. I don't know how to do all the shit. I'm kidding. No, he carries this and I just I ride his coattails because everyone knows. Know it do, I don't know how to do any of the technical stuff. <laughs> Hence my camera not working in the beginning. And, do you ever, do you ever do, um, on camera on, um, film yourself for an audition? Sure. Like a self tape? Sure. How do you do that? Uh, well, I, 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 I hate it. I, I, I've never auditioned well uh, as it is, um, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's very difficult. You know, you got to get someone obviously to read with you and uh, it really never looks right. Um, yeah. And it's just very different than in a room. Um, uh, but it's happening more and more, you know, even before COVID, it was all these self tapes. And it, I mean, the whole industry is just it's, it's becoming so. Uh, I mean, I've done some self tapes and they were fucking horrible. You know, I just, I, 
particularly when I'm when I'm taping myself, I've got my phone and I've got it turned around. Right. Um, and I can't watch myself and perform at the same time. It's just right, and you're not sure where to look. You know, I I have that. I, I you know, are, am I right off the lens? Am I in it? It's just, it's um, it's it's, it's difficult. Would you like to do a scene with me now, Daryl? Would that sure. be comfortable? Anything from <laughs> uh, from uh, what, uh, Natalie Needs a 90 is the last play I did. Wow, okay. Uh, that's right. Um, so, but yeah, I, it's, auditioning <laughs> is always, I've always hated it, and it's just uh, It's the worst, man. I, I acted a little bit for a while in, uh, in L.A., and I, just, I can't stand, like, doing that, any type of auditioning. Like, you're going into a room, and even if you're not, you know, if you're not doing the self-taping, you're just... You're, you're, you're like, you know, please validate me. Please tell me I'm good enough. Like, am I, is this, is this going to happen? It's very off-putting and I never felt comfortable doing it. I always hated yeah. it. Yeah. Well then a good chance you're not right for the business. Chris. Yeah, probably. That's a good chance that I should just, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to quit now. I'll see you later. You know, when I started out, I couldn't, I, I mean, in the eighties when I was really starting and uh, you know, I, I was trying to get into acting or whatever, and I had no credits, I would actually walk in with a list of my callbacks <laughs> things you know with my my funky you know marty ingles picture it was like you know, it was one of those and and it would be a list of my callbacks and no one got it no one got the you know it was like um are you new and i would go very new i haven't booked anything and they said well what is on your resume i go oh those are my callbacks <laughs> and aha uh-huh. It was literally, oh, and someone said, I, I remember the cast director to this, she goes, you really, you don't want to list those. I was like, no problem, you know, and I, uh, of course, I, um, yeah. The last thing I really auditioned for, I auditioned five times, and it was for a big part in a big show, new miniseries on Showtime, yeah. five hard auditions, and then got a, an email from, casting that said we obviously cast you in this part but unfortunately um a friend of the directors read the script put him on tape and the director has hired him he has stolen the part and and so god i was like you know what fuck it gotta love hollywood (laughs) i don't want to do this you know and so today I get this great script um, for some really wonderful people, and, and they want me to put myself on tape, and I don't, I, I don't even know how to do it. So, uh, well, Chris, COVID is. Chris will help you. Do you let Chris help you with stuff? I will. He, ha- he has nothing to do. I have nothing to do. Obviously, my life is empty without you two right now. You, you, you could see Chris. What's great about Chris right now is he's still one of the few that shoots in black and white. So you could see that. On, on his camera. I try to keep as as minimal as possible. It's called being basic, okay? Like I want to. Okay. I don't need to be fancy with you. Like the same okay. nice cameras that you have. Okay, uh, Woody Allen. Let me let me ask you something. You don't have to. You know they have color now. Extra five bucks. The camera comes and. Like, ah, you know that's a lot to ask for. All right, that's a lot. Chris, let me ask you. How are you doing the black and white thing? Because I feel like uh, you're you know you're on my uh, ping or something at the front door. Why are you doing the black? Is that I'm, it's not black and white. It's literally, I, this is a blue shirt. Uh, it's, okay. I, the camera's just terrible. That's it. It's an old laptop. Okay, Daryl, maybe he's not the one to shoot. I am not. Yeah, I'm probably not. But uh, I do help a lot of where actors. Where are you, Daryl? Where, where do you, I'm going to come by with a tripod. 
Where are we? Um, 73rd. Are you in New York? No. Oh. How is New York right now? Like, what's the what's it like when you go outside? I enjoy it. Yeah. People are out and doing stuff, right, Chris? Yeah. I mean, people are out. The weather's uh, a little shitty today, but overall, it's been pretty nice. Nice fall weather. Um, I miss everyone it. wears I masks. Everybody's masked up, my friends, and that's right. nice to see. And it's but well, we're we're hoping these numbers go back down. They went up a little bit, but um, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I was living in Los Angeles when the thing hit, and I had about the first four and a half months of the pandemic in really painful isolation. I wasn't aware there was a a form of mental illness that I hadn't exhibited before in my life, but that solitary confinement really fucked my shit up. Yeah. You know? And it was in L.A. where you started? Yeah, and I started getting these sores on my face. Right symptoms of solitary confinement and then yeah. it came to new york and i had i had four and a half months with no sun and i yeah. i guess like something happened to my vitamin d and i yeah. you know i couldn't walk for a while it was really bad oh, yeah, yeah. but in new york you know you know how new york is i walk sure. outside i talk to people yeah i talk to yeah, people I, I all... there's no yeah. place like it man I, I i miss it i love it i think i'm gonna go back there for uh you know, for December and just get some seasons and see people that are avoiding. Are you in L.A. now? I'm in L.A., yeah. I'm a native. It's my hometown and my home base. And and uh, I'm thinking more and more about leaving. Uh, There's a lot leaving. of people that left L.A. A yeah. lot a lot of co- comics I know have left. Yeah, it's just uh, – and I love it. You know, it's it's been my home, but I just I, – it's just getting uh, – I don't know. If, if uh, depending on the election, I may leave the country. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we're going to be okay. But, but I've actually thought about that, which is strange. It's not a, um, you know. Why do you think so many people are fleeing Los Angeles? Well, it's just, uh, you, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, I think the, even though I'm kind of off the beaten path, I'm not really in the city, but, um, it's just the state in itself is is in, uh, really, I, I think, for the last 10, 12 years, is really in crisis. I mean, everything, the whole state's on fire. Um, uh, you know, the crime rates are are, are, are are worse. The quality of life is just really, you know, if it wasn't for the weather. And now the weather, it's like living in a desert. I mean, we haven't had rain in... in you know, measurable rain in, in literally 180 days, you, you know, and uh, it's just, it's just the vibe of it. And it, it just feels like a place that's, that's through it all has become more, uh, more about Hollywood. And, and, you know, that's, that's always, you know, I never fit into that. So it's not like I'm, I'm losing much, but um, I feel like I just, I just need a, uh, I need a change. And, and the wife is from back east, you know, New, grew up in New England. And, and she's like, you're not going to be able to deal with the winters. You're, you're, you know, and, and that, but I'm thinking of maybe half and halfing it there and just getting some, you know, I, well, I'd love to be close to New York, maybe not right in it. But she says, you won't get through one winter. <laughs> so I, uh, so we had a mild one last winter, though. It wasn't too bad. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just, I missed the, 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 Every time I, I don't know, when I was younger, 
I used to think I could live on the East Coast. And as I gotten older, I'll, I'll be there for New York for a week or two. And I'm like, I, I got to get back. Then I get back. And so maybe I'll just get out, you know, somewhere. Uh, have you ever done like the Connecticut thing, Daryl, or the or the upstate? I don't I, No, I never have done Connecticut. I'd say it's been the last 10 years between Los Angeles, New Orleans, and New York. And uh, it was pretty fucking cool to be in those three cities. Yeah. How do you like New Orleans? Oh, my God. I'm madly in love. What, what do you love about it? I think that there's more, you know, I, I was telling someone New Orleans is the only place in the world you can go out for a toothbrush, to get a toothbrush and not come home for two days. And <laughs> people don't, um, uh, I, it, there's more light than light, meaning our better angels, good things, yeah. charity programs, dogs and little league. There's more light there than I've seen anywhere else, and yet there's an equal amount of darkness. It's really hard to explain mm. when you're in the French Quarter and you feel, I mean, I've never seen a ghost, but you feel spiritual stuff. But listen, the main thing is I grew up at a, a home in the Bible Belt where there just wasn't music and there wasn't dancing and there wasn't much self-expression. Right. And you didn't tell truth a lot and you didn't like many people. Yeah. The people that weren't like you, you just didn't like them, you know, and all of this with a Southern accent. Yeah. And I grew up down there, and to get to New Orleans where they, people weren't playing that game, where there were so many different colors, and there's music all the time, 24-7. Yeah. To me, because of where I grew up, you know, I, I got hooked on that. Yeah. And the food, there was I'm, always I'm a, a foodie. Are you a foodie? Are you in oh, food? Or? yeah. That's my, oh, yeah. you know, it's my last vice, right? I love it. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, they they have food there. You can obviously eat food that's tasty and not necessarily unhealthy. Sure. But it's it's difficult to resist things like um, crawfish rangoon or sure um, the jambalaya. I mean, uh, there was a place it's still there called Verde Mart uh, in the in the French Quarter. Right across the street from the LaLaurie Mansion, which is the most haunted house in America. Okay. And they Did made... You go? Did you go in it? I tried to get in there so hard. Right. Is it bullshit I, or is it really... I mean, do you believe in ghosts? There isn't a way of telling... I wouldn't be able to tell what, what about that house. I was never in it. I did have an experience at um, the uh, Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana that was as close to a poltergeist experience that I've ever had. And um, what was it? We, we went there. It was a plantation. It's 300 years old and it's gorgeous. I mean, you're in Louisiana. It's a plantation, the mossy trees and the yeah. cobblestone and gladiolas and, and every kind of flower and jasmine everywhere. Correct. Yeah. Right. So, we go to this thing, and I'm thinking, all right, well, this is kind of nice. It's kind of quaint. You know, sure, it's kind of sweet. Yeah. And then you, you get inside the house, and they give you and they tell you the tour of the home. And you find out that a, a mother and her three children were murdered in this house um, about mm -hmm. 300 years ago. Now, from that moment on, you feel kind of bad. Like, I don't want to be there with the original children's furniture. And yet I had a room. You can, there are eight rooms people can rent. And I had one of my rooms, you know, 
You stayed uh, overnight? That's the thing. Everyone tries to stay overnight, and we were going to try to stay overnight. But, I mean, you can't write this stuff. A woman in the room next to mine had played, because you find out there's, like, some of the children's stuff in your room. Oh, God. Yeah. So she puts the doll in the armoire, and while she's asleep, she says, yes. the armoire, the latch starts to shake. So she's oh, literally, I, I, Brad, I don't know if you've ever seen someone who's so fucking scared they can't make a sound. Sure. sure. I mean, honeymoon, that honeymoon fucking night. scared. Honeymoon the night, hon- is that what you said? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> he said his honeymoon night. <laughs> yeah. Well... I mean, the woman was pissing herself. Did you know? Seriously? Yes. Did you know? Do you know the woman, or was she just part of the the? Uh, no, just a well-dressed person. They're not oh trauma patients. God. They're fucking people. <laughs> they, they think they're going to get a, a Universal Studios Disney theme park ride, and, and they and go then, in there. This is in the fuck, middle of the night. She comes out, and then you come out of your room, or what? Like that was about eight thirty or nine o'clock at night. Oh. And here's what happened preceding that. I'm standing at the foot of the stairs. A photographer friend of mine from Israel comes in with her equipment. They tell her her equipment's going to die, and it does die. And they're looking at me, and a woman comes up to me and goes, who's in room eight? And I go, I'm in room eight. And she shows me a picture of a woman standing in the window of the room that I'd just been sleeping in. And my brain caught the fever. (laughs) I... Caught the fear that law of mutuality and shared experience. Our shared brains had gone there looking for a ghost. And, and if it was a hoax, it was an elaborate hoax, but I literally, me and my friends and everyone there, there were nine bedrooms you could stay in. The poltergeist hunters, the paranormal psychiatrists, psychologists had a room, but they wouldn't go in the room. We all the whole the whole place went home. We were scared shitless, and I. This is unbelievable. It's it, it doesn't, it, you know, it reminds me of that Luigi Luigi Pirandello play. It's so if you think it's so. Well, all of a sudden, I caught the fever. Yeah. It scared the shit out of me, and I, I to this day I I won't swear, gun to my head, I won't swear there's no such thing as ghosts, but yeah. I can't. Yeah. Have you had that? Um. No. No, but I, I, I think I want to, you, you know. I do too. Yeah, and, and then, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I'm kind of a pussy in a lot of ways. But, <laughs> um, but I think it's something I, I, I would love to experience. Uh, the, the couple of times I've been in New Orleans, I, I just fell in love with it. <laughs> and um, I, I, I don't, you know, you've been raised in Florida. Yeah, it's probably the humidity doesn't do much to you. You're probably, but I find it just stifling. And I'm always oh, brutal. Uh, yeah, but but I do have friends that recently uh, moved to New Orleans about a well, actually about 40 minutes outside of New Orleans, and they got a little ranch, and they're just the happiest people in the world. And they go into New Orleans, and they grow their own stuff, and they have the the, the animals, and the, but they love they you know they get a little bit of both, but. It's always been an awesome a city. I just I've always loved. I always found it too hot in the summer. I mean, I I yeah. would always leave in July and August, no matter what, because yeah, I grew up in Florida. It's hot. I worked in Arizona quite a bit, as we all have. If we've yeah. worked the comedy circuit, sure, it's hotter than fuck. Yeah, 
but this I, I lived I lived in Arizona. I grew up over there pretty much. Yeah. This New Orleans stuff is like if it's ten o'clock in the morning and it occurs to you, like it just hits you, oh man, I'm thirsty. If it if you think it, just it's too late. Yeah. The day's over. Sober? Are you, are you a so sober? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean my thing is opiates and I'm I've got a little over five years off of opiates. Okay. okay. Um but That's but I I've I've lived sober and drunk in New Orleans, you know. Right, right. Um but that's the thing. You really don't have to get drunk to have the best fucking night ever. Right. Yeah. Right. The only the only time I've ever been to New Orleans I went and did it sober. It was great. Yeah. It's I, even I, a little yeah. it's even a little better sober. I agree. I agree. Um yeah, I, I, I love that town. Uh, the times I've been in there, uh, I've been there, I've been sober. Um, but I would have sure loved it uh, in my drunk days. What is your drug? <laughs> I mean, were you a drinker? I was, or? A, I was, a, I was a big boozer, a uh, big weed guy, a uh, lot of booze, uh, a little bit of the uh, of the marching powder. But the toughest thing for me to quit was the uh, the weed and, and the booze. You know, I was uh, near the end. I was a, a bottle a night guy. You know, I'd go through a bag of weed in, in a ridiculous amount of time. So I got twenty. I got twenty three years, and um, that's awesome, man. Congratulations! Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And it's you know, it's uh, I, I you know that's very a, very grateful. For it. I had a lot of fun, uh, 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 drunk, and uh, <laughs> a lot of great times. But because of my size and my capacity and what it really took to get me there. I just went from, you know, I was after blacking out for, you know, a year and a half. I was like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Could you, uh, could you literally do a bottle that meaning 28, a fifth? Oh, oh. Per day. About, oh, for, for, you know, the fifth was about, gosh, you know, maybe the last six, seven years. It was a fifth of night. Well, you're, you're a big uh, dude, I, man, too. I'm yeah. sure that you. And I was you, very high functioning. I yeah. was very high functioning. I rarely drank during the day, but I watched that fucking clock to hit five. Um, <laughs> and I, I was rarely hungover. I was rarely sick. Um, wow. And I just, I just had that constitution that, that would kill you eventually. Um, and, and did you ever, were you good about not working uh, under the influence? Uh, I worked under the influence in stand-up. When I worked the clubs, uh, I, I, I drank, and again, never missed a show. Uh, I've repeated a few jokes. Uh, you know that third show, <laughs> Saturday night. Yeah, uh, I was uh, I was speaking in tongues. There's no fucking question. <laughs> but um, I, isn't that you know, Brad? Isn't that the worst thing in the world? Where you go, you're, you're, you're searching for material in your mind, and you're tired, and it's the second show or third show of the night. So you go into the bit, and someone goes, "You told that one." Yeah. All the time. <laughs> you, yeah. you said that one before. Yeah. And I yeah. would always go, because you're not listening. <laughs> That's what I always say. When you start to listen and pay attention. But, um, you don't get yeah. new material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was, uh, I fell off Julio Iglesias' tour bus um, one night. I was wow. so wrecked after a show. And uh, he had a double-decker tour bus. And I thought I was on the bottom floor. <laughs> you know the bottom because that's where you know only the only uh, uh but the bottom was for the you know for the band and julio and the crew and me were on the top 
and I took a header, man. I landed on my face, and uh, it was really funny. But his drummer was a um, uh, a fireman, and uh, and uh, you know he picked me up. He goes, "Now do you think you have a problem?" And I went, "Nope." <laughs> Drank for about uh, uh, five years after that. Oh man, how was that opening? How was that opening for him? That's a well, that's a definitely a different thing. <laughs> well, it was during his heyday, you know, in the early '90s, and. He had just done uh, that duet with Willie Nelson. And we were playing, I mean, arenas. Yeah. And, he was uh, massive at that time. He was massive. And Roseanne Barr just stopped opening for him, and she just got her show. Okay. So why he picked me, I, I, I don't know. And I was just dying nightly, and it was brutal. You know, and um, well, because who expects a stand up in front of Julio Clancy? Well, that's the thing. So, after like three weeks, I got to be friends with his sound guy who was from California, like I was. And I went, Danny, look, you know, you've been on tour with him for years. What's going on? He goes, dude, if you don't get it by now, his audience doesn't speak English. He goes, he sings in three different languages. And I said, then why the fuck is there a comic? <laughs> yeah, no and shit. he says, because Julio loves to laugh before he goes on. Oh, so you're just performing for him, really, then? Right. And I said, well, maybe he could run outside in the front when I'm on and, you know, give me a, give me a, a chuckle or two. And then, <laughs> and then one night I, I called him, uh, I referred to him as a Mexican on stage. And um, I get off stage and he, and, uh, he, he comes up and he goes, Red, Red, please, please, I am not a Mexican. And I said, okay, uh, what are you? And he goes, I'm Spanish. And I went, oh, a tall Mexican. <laughs> and it was, that was my last week. That was my last week. So I, so I culminated with, uh, uh, in those years, my thing, you know, I was, every year is a different uh, uh, drug or, or drink of choice i yet when i ended it was it was it was vodka was my thing but but the julio days was uh was cuervo gold and he only had silver tequila on the bus and that's when i uh i always told people if it was gold if it was cuervo i wouldn't have fought you know my the, the drunk that nile but, <laughs> but, but i gotta tell you after that tour i got my ass kicked so much that um uh I, I was just so much better when I when I stopped that tour and got back in into the clubs because I was like you know I was yeah. dying at like the Saddle Dome in, in Calgary you know seats like forty five thousand and and um, you know it's so funny when you work rooms out sizes and opening out when you don't get a laugh you you literally hear like a wind you know just <laughs> yeah. whip by you it's 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 incredible but. Did you ever, did you live in, um, in Vegas for a while? I mean, cause I know you have your club there. When I, when I opened the club uh, eight years ago, I, I was in Vegas, uh, literally half the time. I do two weeks there, two weeks in LA, uh, back and forth. And just, yeah. I love owning a club. I know it sounds uh, kind of corny, but I always said, if I, if I ever do, okay, I want to open a club because of all the places that treated us like shit when we were on the road, I want to give the axe a great room yeah great rooms to stay in what you know vegas was always great to me I, I i cut my teeth there i started there in 86 and it's a place where 
I've had some of my worst times, some of my biggest nights of, of very irresponsible usage. And, you know, when I knew I could be sober in that town, though it's very fucking boring to be yeah. sober in Vegas. Yeah. Um, then I found that, like, like what Daryl said, it's kind of cool to be sober in New Orleans. And when I, when I w- was sober in Vegas, I saw a whole other city. Yeah. That, that's off the beaten path. That's really, really great amazing people and um yeah your club by the way is beautiful man and i i I stopped in once um maybe it was ken that was working or somebody i knew was working there and uh and i just hung out in the green room and that green room is awesome like it's a nice green room and let me just say your staff like there that they uh they they didn't know who i was because no one does but uh they came i came in and they they were like you know can i get you anything you know they were very like just attentive and that's that's the main thing and it's a really nice club is it is it reopened yet? Are any of the clubs reopened out there yet? You know, I literally got off with them uh, a couple hours ago, and it's uh, it's very, very. We are not reopened. They, the governor, which scary to be governor of Nevada and not to know a fucking thing about entertainment. He is yeah. saying that the smaller clubs, like mine, like the Laugh Factory, like uh, the other rooms, you have to have a. It's no longer six feet from people. It's a twenty-five foot space between the stage and the first row well okay. in a comedy club 25 feet puts it's you like half the room <laughs> it's it's with us and we see 250 but with us it puts us at the front door and there, and i'm going why can a trio of musicians be six feet but a comic needs 25 and why can a waiter you know i i said why can you have so but they're doing the, the they're doing the same thing here, by the way. They're doing the exact same thing here in Are New York. Are they really? Same bullshit where they're saying that uh, music is okay, but comedy is not, and I don't get it. I don't understand it whatsoever. I don't get it either. But they're trying to also all the comedy clubs here band together all the owners, yep. and they kind of form this thing where they're trying to. I don't know if they're suing them or what, but they they got a senator involved, and the senator is very much like sure on our side. It. Schumer's one of them. Um, there's another one from, I want to say, Brooklyn or Queens. Um, is Jerry? I know Jerry's fighting the, the charge. Jerry's is fighting, yeah. he involved he, or no? He, a little, I mean, he did a, a big push for it in the news to try to, like, tell people, like, you know, hey, like, this isn't fair. We really need to help the arts. It's not just comedy. It's everything. There's so much that we, that people don't realize goes into this and, and the livelihood of not only comedians, but waiters and, and comedy club owners and, like, you know, just... well. You know, it's weird. I said to the people running it, and and the tough part is the gaming commission, the people that hold the gaming license. It's their responsibility. Well, there's nothing stricter than the gaming license board in Vegas, right? And I said, why can't we use plexiglass? The band is using plexiglass. Yeah. I said, the band is eight pieces. We're one person. No, I said, could we wear the shield that the waiters wear? No, it's not safe. It doesn't make any sense. And there's no rhyme or reason. And uh, so we're trying to figure it out. I mean, I want to get people working again. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out the number I can get that where if I break even and can open the doors and let the comics and servers work, I'm fine until we get through it. But in a room that seats 250, they're going, well, we can maybe do 40. And I said, but 40 isn't going to keep the lights on. So we're looking at other, but it's, it's, it's very messed up. I mean, none of it makes any sense. And, uh, yeah, it sucks. 
Yeah, it does. So I mean, it sounds like it's the same deal in New York. And and I get this, you know, this pandemic is a very scary thing. But if you're serving food and you're hovering over the guy, I think six feet from a comic is okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand with, with out here with Cuomo, what he said was that there's no difference between a comedy club and Madison Square Garden. So he likened both of us for whatever reason. He's like, yeah, you know, uh, comedy clubs in Madison Square Garden, same thing. And I'm like, no, Madison Square Garden seats 20,000 people or whatever. Right. Like, and, you know, it, it's yeah. not and the that, same. The bigger, venue, the bigger venues in Vegas, he's going, you can have 10%. So they just build the Raider Dome, which is yes. 60,000. Yes. 60,000. He said you can have 6,000. Uh, fans in there but you right. can't have like you know a, no. a, a and, half and, a room right and it's like but but and they go well six thousand is going to be spaced out very well but they're going to open their doors to fans for six thousand it's it, it doesn't really make sense so i don't know i'm just you know trying to stay healthy trying to stay positive but yeah that's, that's not I, one of my uh have you done any of these um outdoor shows that people do? No. Daryl and I've talked about this a few times. I'm trying to get Daryl to do a, one of these rooftop shows that uh I do sometimes here. How much stand up you still do, Daryl? Do you still dig it? Is it something you enjoy? I do, I, I do. I was doing quite a bit of it when I was pre-covid. I was doing some of Chris's shows and I uh, was doing improv and uh fucking comedy store, man. I yeah. mean, it was a pretty darn cool thing. Yeah to do a 15 minute set at the main room of the comedy store and oh. walk down the hill to my apartment. I was like, it was like a great yeah. night, you know, it's better than that. It's do you still do, do you do stand up? Oh, I, I worked the club. I was doing a handful of dates, you know, me too. Uh, yeah. But now cause of the club, I'm like, if I'm going to go anywhere, I might as well work my own room. Cause I love it. I MC, you know, cause I can't follow these fuckers. <laughs> and, uh, I have a great time, but I was talking to Kevin Nealon. He goes, Hey man, I did my first drive-in set. I go, Oh God, Kevin. I go, you're, you're, what are you doing? And he goes, it was really a trip. I go, what is it? He goes, well, it's like a drive-in movie thing and you're on a stage and it's so, they let so many cars in, they put the speaker on the car window, like a movie. And I go, well, how do you know? how you're doing and he goes because they honk the horns yeah and i heard they have clackers too and we had, they have clackers yeah. jamie kennedy was one of our guests on our podcast and he did one of those yeah. and he's he was talking about they got the clackers they've got the lights you know I the wanna, uh i don't want to do it that <laughs> yeah yeah you know, I, oh we lost daryl yeah well it's fine daryl daryl has gone to uh to yeah, to another was. podcast <laughs> probably um, um but sorry he'll be back in a second uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's, it's a, tr now, have you done any of those, Chris? I've, I have not done a drive-in one yet, but I've done a lot of the outdoor stuff. So I was doing, and how does that work? Like, what do you mean a rooftop here? So there's a, a comedy club here called New York comedy club. And, yeah. uh, they, they got a private, a penthouse residence. So these people that used to live in this penthouse, they decided to start just renting out their penthouse and they no longer live in it, but like, um, right. they rented out for events and the comedy club was like, we'll take it until, we can't take it anymore. We'll, we'll like, you know, just rent it for us every night. And so they have a rooftop up there that they do. And it's only holds maybe 30 people tops, but they spread everybody out. Um, everyone, 30 people. Have you done that, Daryl? I have not. I've uh, got to do that. I've just been you. sitting here. What is it like to be honked at? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's funny. It, it, it's, I, I mean, there are some guys that just have to get up and I get it. 
If I had a better act, if I had a better act, I'd probably be like, fuck, yeah, I'll do the, uh, I'll do the <laughs> but, um, and you know, I don't have that hunger like I used to, you know, and, uh, but, but back in the day I could, I would, have, you know, I had to get up anywhere. Um, but I don't know how they, I mean, I'm just too insecure to, you know, to wait for someone to flash their, their high beams at me. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird because especially with Daryl and I being here in New York is that we could, in one night we could go up and we could do, you know, five to seven sets in a night if we really wanted to. And, and that's what the beautiful thing about pre COVID times was that there was sure. 12 comedy clubs here in New York and you can, oh, you, you do the spots, you bounce around and you work on, you hone that, like, you know, that new five minutes within one night. And yeah that became kind of a way of life. And we, we kind of, I feel like we almost took it for granted because we, no one knew this was coming. And, and now you're lucky if you do, you know, a couple of sets in a week on these outdoor shows and, you know, on rooftops. And I mean, I was doing a shows on sidewalks in front of restaurants. They had that and they're doing stuff in the middle of parks where you're just yelling at people. Big stuff. It's, you'll be talking about this forever you know it's it's uh it's 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 so crazy but you know yeah. it, it's it gets it's one of those things that just gets me back into it and i gets you know i i need it it's more like it's kind of like my therapy for the most part outside sure. of my actual therapy but uh you know you get and, and you open for daryl right so you guys go do your thing um we haven't really toured yet together but um we did shows together um i whenever i come to la um i would get my own night at the improv Right. And, um, you know, Rita and Paige over there would give me a night and I'd, I'd have him on. Um, and then here, uh, when he'd come into town, I'd get him on with me at Gotham, you know. Nice. Um, so it was it was fun. We performed together in the same show a couple of times, but not touring right. together. Right. Yeah, we kind of hope that that we'll do well enough after a year or two with this podcast that we could. In, in, <laughs> and there's a vaccine, hopefully, um, that's accepted and distributed. And we come yeah. closer to doing real shows again, and maybe we'll do some real shows. Yeah, we can tour through uh, the Brad Garrett Comedy Club at the MGM in Las Vegas. Well, I got to tell you, I would, <laughs> I would be so honored. I would just love it, and I'm not going to hit you up for it, but just know you are welcome there. Oh, I think you anytime, should hit me up for it. Anytime, any night, we will uh, treat you like the the legend you are. Um, you are loved, and uh, really, I mean. Just some of my my best SNL viewing nights is you, and uh, you're you're one of the rare ones on stage and off. So I think uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you inspire me. You inspire me. To, you inspire me to quit, Daryl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's what I'm saying. You're you just yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, if Daryl feels this way, why am I in the game? Yeah, but uh, we will keep swinging, and I wish you all health. Yeah, but before well before you go, I mean, we have to talk about a few things, okay? Sure. Uh, number one, everybody knows you from Everybody Loves Raymond. However, I know you from uh, SVU. Oh wow! The as one of the top. best roles I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, thanks, thanks. I don't yeah. have fun. I, I, I love Ken Gard told me to bring that up. By the way, <laughs> uh, thank you. Ken's the best, actually. His wife just sent me a beautiful painting of our dog. Oh, that's Jesus. great. Yeah, she's well, a great how artist. How lucky did he get? Huh? Oh, great. He, had, he, he got a goodie there. Yes, he did. God, she's she great. Tell me about the role on <laughs> yeah, SVU. You. Um, I played a <laughs> very unique. I played a, uh, a crooked New York cop. Ah, you don't see that a lot. And uh, he was uh, uh, raping, uh, the, he was an abusive husband, 
And uh, you want to take a nap, Daryl? Because I got, I, really, you want to do a snoozy? <laughs> why? Why? Why are you? Why are you asking me that? Well, you've yawned twice, and uh, um, um, I'm did I yawn? Uh, it was either that or you did this. I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I didn't yawn. Oh, no, come I'm on, fucking with you. Uh, so did I? Was, did I seriously yawn, Chris? I was. I didn't see you yawn. I don't know. There, I think. There, I think there, Brad's just uh, yeah, hallucinating. He needs to go to yeah, sleep. Hallucinating. How's the smoking? How many packs you do in a day? Oh, about half. Okay, it's not too bad. If I ever see you, Daryl, I'm going to do a little hypnosis on you. Going to put you under the good. Going to put you under the big juice spell, and you're going to wake up. Uh, you're going to wake up like a 15 year old. I did a SVU and it went okay. Well, um, who did you play? I played a, a really unethical lawyer. Okay. And then I did. It went pretty good, you know. Uh, I thought for me. Sure. You like doing drama? You probably yeah. Like I, I think I exceeded my own expectations and. It was really thrill. It was thrilling to try. I took a risk, and it seemed to go okay. Good for you. So then I did. <laughs> I did Criminal Intent. I got cast in Criminal Intent in a, in a very similar role. Yeah. But when I was doing Criminal Intent, this is so sad. But maybe you'll like the story. They put <laughs> sad. I love it. It is. It's so sad. Um, at that time, I was put on something called um, Lamictal. Which is a mood stabilizer and quite effective. Do you, still, and yet, do you recommend it for bipolar? Oh yeah, but I, I I wouldn't recommend it while you're performing. But yeah, oh, I mean no, I would go through my days. I was sort of okay, but when I went when I got back on on, on set with, with Vincent D'Onofrio and that crew, yeah. and I was they, I couldn't feel a thing. I mean, I kept popping these Red Bulls. I couldn't feel a fucking thing which is what the drug is designed for. I couldn't feel anything. And at one point, you know, D'Onofrio is such a fabulous, ferocious actor. And yep. he's yelling at me about something and he's leaning to the side and he's yelling at me. And I really wanted to say, it's almost like I wanted to say, I don't know what the fuck you're yelling at me for. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> oh, uh, it was like that. I was like, wait, what are you fucking yelling at me for? I was like, oh shit. Okay, so no, no Lamictal. Not when you're not when you're performing. I don't think so. But 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 when you're not, you're zombied out, right? On something. Can, can I was something that I was you could function on. Um, well, I mean, anything you love. Well, they have they have me on gabapentin now. So if you take a little Abra, a little uh, Adderall and a little gabapentin, it's fucking great. Okay. But gabapentin's like something I only started in the last couple of years. Okay. Has almost no side effects to it. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, you know, everyone. What about you? Are you on no. something? I'm on. Uh, right now, I'm just on Lexapro. I've been on Lexapro for many years. You know. Uh, Light uh, antidepressant. Yep. Yep. And it's it's really it's really you know done its job. A lot of my stuff. Uh, you know, I, I I do have stuff, but I I try uh, if I can get through it without medicating. But the Lexapro is just, you know, they should put it in the tap water. I think it's, it's helped so many people that I know. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, and, but, um, when I was leaving the, that last really intense um, mental hospital, yeah, and, and I'm leaving, and they put me on, um, they didn't know quite what they put, they put me on Wellbutrin, yeah. you know, like uh, just on general principle sort of thing, like we got to give you something, brah. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be taking something. And, uh, yeah, like here's, a, here's an eight ball of Coke. Do something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was the Wellbutrin. Fair to partly cloudy. Yeah. yeah. The best thing I ever did was the Adderall. Uh, um, well, um, lament. Yeah. I just said the, the, the Gabby. The Gabba. The Gabby. Yeah. That, that's that's the one that's worked the best for me. That's great. And I don't use that much of it. People use like three thousand milligrams. I use barely, you know, barely a hundred. So I'm well, I'm doing all right. Amazing. That's that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah, my dad was was very bipolar and. Uh, and, and an amazing, great dude, and just so caring and loving and wonderful, and so supportive of me, and really, really a pal. And, uh, you know, we didn't know for years what was going on. You know, in, in those days, they were just like, oh, he's very eccentric and moody, and, and, you know, all that bullshit. And it ended up, you know, uh, 15, 20 years before he passed, and we knew there was something else, and, and that, uh, uh, but, uh, they tried all their, I mean, 20 years ago, they didn't know what bipolar was. They had no fucking idea. Yeah. I don't know if they know now. And they just, you know, they just had them on all different, and they had such a great energy and, and great humor and, and everything just fucking zombied them out. And, you know, we couldn't get them on anything. So, because uh, he just hated all that. He didn't, he never had a substance problem. He never dug booze. He never did anything that, uh, you know, uh, recreation. And uh, we just couldn't keep him on the stuff. But all these things, you know, all these names ring a bell for me and, and stuff because we tried it with him. And, but it, it's just yeah. you know, get people to stay on meds that need meds. Um, nothing not, wrong with meds. Nothing at all, man. And <laughs> I, I try to, you know, tell people it's so important. And, uh, you know, whenever my guy says, try this, you need something else, I'm all about it because why torture? But... With so much mental illness, it seems like the torture uh, begets torture. It's like the ones that really need the, the meds for depression, the depression keeps them from wanting to be well because it feeds itself. And it's such a slippery slope. I wish that there was more, more help, you know, in the mental arena for people. Yeah, this, this doctor was so brilliant. And he, he said... Um, on the show, right? The one in the movie. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, just sort of like. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you found him, man. I mean, yeah, it's like, just, like when he told me I'm this way because of something that happened, that was my hallelujah chorus moment. Yeah. Like, like this is mental illness is not an airborne virus. It comes from somewhere specific. Yeah. As a story, I mean, when the guy started talking to me like that, you know, I really had a chance to heal. You know, I really like all of a sudden I was like, oh, now that I know what's wrong with me, yeah, I can find a way to deal with this somehow. But it's not easy. I mean, no, it, it doesn't you, you, like I don't have to do horrible shit anymore. Like um, I was telling someone the other day that they were saying you still have nightmares. And I said, you know, I don't I have these these, you know, weird ass dreams like I had, this, you know, my little league coach is a frog who's also Nick Nolte and drives a beer truck for the mob kind of. No, I have those. I have those. Yeah, but that's yeah. nothing. That's yeah. mildly entertaining. Right? Sure, sure. But it's not the PTSD shit you used to have, right? Yeah. It just goes to show you, you know, you can really improve with this stuff. 
as yeah. you can, man. That's great. And, and I, I, I hope most people, I hope people that, that watch that can, you know, take away, take that away from what they saw with you, you know? Well, the producers convinced me it might help somebody. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I think it is. I think it's helping people. I'll try. You see all those messages that are, you're you know getting. It is. You know yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, the key, man. You know, uh, I'm I'm glad that's out there. And if anybody hasn't watched it, like I said earlier, it's on Netflix. It's called Cracked Up. Um, you know, it's a great documentary. By the way, the Jackie Gleason was marvelous. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's right. You got a, didn't you get nominated for an Emmy for that? Yeah, that's yeah, great, man. You. It was a great performance. Yeah, thank you. really, really special. Ray, Ray called it Jackie Gleason, the NBA years. <laughs> 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 he wasn't nine feet. I, I'm not getting it. <laughs> how how was it? Uh, I mean, how was it working with Ray for so long? I mean, oh, so many he's, years. He's such a, he's a, you know, it's amazing. From the pilot to 20 years later, yeah, he's the same friggin' guy. You I know, mean, that, you can that, talk that, shit I mean, about him on the podcast right now if you'd like. Oh, we talk shit about each other all the time. He. uh he said, uh, 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 when, it, when it was my birthday, he called me. He goes, what do you give a guy who has everything because of you? <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I said, here, here. Here, here. But he's, uh, he's a lot of fun. And we did a lot of, a lot of shows uh, on the road together. We would, we would tour. And he's such a, such a good egg and a good, good stand-up and a good guy. It, it's amazing, all that success. It's yeah, there's no bigger compliment than when someone's the same uh, after after uh, you know after after all that that wonderful oh, stuff yeah. that happened to him, and so deservedly. But he's just uh, you know he cares more about golf and his family than anything else. And <laughs> it's great. It's it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Do you do you have any uh, good stories from when you filmed that show? Because I mean you, that was on for what nine years. It was it was nine years. Yeah. yeah we uh, it, it was. You know, we we just getting through Peter's flatulence problem <laughs> was, and and uh, we, you know we all love Peter Boyle, and it was it was a best kept secret. But for years, we didn't know who on the set was doing this, and you know, eighty percent of the scenes were the whole cast, and uh, it was it was uh, you know they always think the largest person is having the problem with this. <laughs> It's just like whether you're in a, it's like it's got to be Garrett because there's no way his colon can hold his girth. You know, it's just always assumed. And uh, after Ray and I got to know each other a little because we didn't know each other before the show. We didn't know each other's stand ups. We never met on the road. Oh, really? It was okay. Really, yeah, really odd. But, that, but anyway, uh, about halfway through the first season, he was like, uh, we're in this rehearsal. The whole, the whole cast is there on the couch and we're doing our thing and uh and he just looks at me and he goes just, just fucking tell me if it's you <laughs> you know and i went uh dude I i'm telling you he goes well I I'm, I'm telling you it isn't me and i said well it's fucking from another world it's from another land it wasn't just and it was awesome yeah. Well, that's only, how you can tell that you guys are good actors because if you could get through the scene without going, yeah. Jesus Christ, what the and, fuck and, is and that? It, and it was frequent. And what was fucked up is it only hit you when it was a full cast scene. Oh. And he's like, 
She's like, yeah, you think it's Doris? I mean, you know, it's, that, that colon can take a punch. I mean, it's a big woman, you know? I said, I don't know. He goes, well, it can't be Patty. I said, I don't fucking know. And he goes, you know, a lot of people think it's you. I go, what, what do you mean a lot of people? Well, crew and stuff, you know? It's kind of like, I go, what, do you have a fucking pool going? Who's farting? Who's so one of the last episodes of the first season, we're right outside the kitchen door. And, you know, we're off the set and we don't, we don't, you, you know, when you're off the set and you got to be out of the shot, you can't be near a window. You're literally crammed in. So it's, it's, it's Peter, me, Doris, Ray, Patty, and we're crammed in and we're, you know, on action, we're supposed to enter the kitchen and the, the director yells, hold on, we're having trouble with camera B, you got to give us a minute. And it's in front of the live audience, obviously. So we're off camera and we're waiting there and here it fucking comes. Here it comes. And this time it, it's death defined. I mean, it's, 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 you know, and I'm not a, a, a fart joke guy, as you can tell, but it's really not my go-to. And I just, and Ray, you know, looks down at his shoes and I'm, thank God, a foot above everybody. So I'm looking up, just hoping to, you know, get a breath. And uh, Patty's, you know, trying to be as Republican as she can about it. And uh, Doris is, you know, looking around because she doesn't mind calling anyone out. And then <laughs> Peter goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> he says, but I got to be honest. I got two more coming. <laughs> <laughs> and Ray goes, Ray goes, it's all the time it's been you. And Peter goes, yep. Yeah, and Ray goes, and you got two more coming. He goes, how how bad is your ass problem that you know how many are left in the chamber? I never, <laughs> I never forgot that fucking line. That was our my best uh, story. Have you ever done that uh, Ray Romano impression to him? <laughs> oh yeah, I do. When so we work great. together. I do it on stage with him. Yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, we, we 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 have we have a lot of fun. Yeah, I was very lucky, very grateful, man. That, that well, it's a, it's a, it's an excellent show, man. I mean, you were you were excellent on it, and uh, yeah. Before um, before we go though, uh, we are we do have to wrap up here. Um, sure, sure. We usually ask uh, our guests to tell us kind of a crazy story at the end here, and uh, I did hear one about you from Judd Apatow. Is it talking about because you mentioned it a little bit earlier about opening for Frank Sinatra? Oh yeah, and he said he he told me a story about how you got fired from Frank Sinatra. I mean, it was brief firing, but uh, yeah, would you tell us that story? Because it's great. Yeah, I was uh, uh, I was opening for him at the Sands in Atlantic City, and uh, you know it was always a tough room, you know, to open for him because you know, first of all, New Jersey, Atlantic City, it's it's you know he was there three nights. And it's everyone he knows, and it's all oh all yeah, the, I bet all the goombas, and uh, y- y- you know when you would open for him, and he, even in Vegas, you know you're introduced, you come out to nothing, and his group would be you know people in the front row going, "Where's Frank? We want Frankie. Where's Frank?" So it was 20 minutes of "Where's Frank?" and uh, "We want, we want, a, we want the chairman," and they're they're yelling this, and it was it was really bad and in Atlantic city this one night. And, um, the problem with Frank is you never knew how long to do. And when I started on uh, with him, I asked his, uh, his road manager, how long do I do? And Hank goes, you do anywhere from 10 to 30. 
And I would okay. say, well, oh, okay, w w when do you, he goes, eh, 10 to 30. When he wants to come on, he'll give a little tug on the mic. You know, it was still wires in those days. The, they were just coming out with cordless. He got a cordless, I got a wire. <laughs> okay. And I go, well, it's, I go, uh, it's very, it's, it's very difficult to, to structure something. If I'm happy doing 10, I'm happy doing 30, but you know, you kind of need to know cause you know, you, and he looks at me, he goes, again, he goes, you want the job or not? <laughs> that was the answer. And I said, well, I'm, yeah, of course I do. And I'm very, very happy, you know, honored to be opening for whatever. He goes, you'll know, he'll give it a tug. You wrap it up. And you know, God bless Frank. He didn't know, you know, because he loved the Jack Daniels and you didn't know what was going to go on. You didn't know if his plane was going to be late. There was a lot of stretching. There was, you know, people sometimes had to remind him the hotel he was at, literally at that. So I'm out there and I'm uh, about, I'm, I'm six minutes in and I, it's, I'm just dying. And it was so bad that the couple in the front this big guy with sunglasses at night and a white tie starts dancing with his girlfriend or wife. They just start dancing in the front row. <laughs> okay. He's he's singing, you, you, you know, it was a very good year in her ear. And, you know, she's 12 and <laughs> no idea. What, and, and I'm going, boy, they're, they're actually, this guy's dancing to my joke. And he was wearing like a top hat. He had a top hat and like a tux and the dark glasses. And I was like, uh, hey, Mr. Peanut. I called him Mr. Peanut. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I get a tug on the thing, on the mic. And I said, well, you, you guys have been awesome. Stick around for Frank. Okay. So I, when I went stick around for Frank, <laughs> they didn't get it. So I go off stage. He comes on. Hand for Greg Barrett. How about a hand for Greg? <laughs> this thing, he goes right into the summer wind and Jilly goes, uh, what does it mean stick around for Frank? And I went, uh, it, it was a joke. He goes, then explain it to me. And I said, <laughs> I, I was doing so poorly. I, I, I was, it was, it was like, I, I stick around for Frank. Yeah. As and, if they were I, there for you. And they just, <laughs> right. And he goes, he goes, but they're here for Frank. I said, well, well that, that's, that's, the, that's the joke. <laughs> he goes, were you making fun because he was late the other night and you were going stick around for Frank as in wait, he'll be here? And I said, <laughs> I, would, I said, I would never, ever allude to him being late. And so Jilly looks at the guy, Hank, next to him. The yeah. road manager was a mountain. He goes, Hank, how did you take the He says, I heard him say stick it to Frank. Okay. Oh. And I went, I went, now that's, that's insanity. I said, I would never, ever say stick it to Frank. And he went, but why would you go stick around for Frank if it's his show? Next thing I know, I get a knock on the door in the dressing room. I'm still in the flop sweat. I'm drinking. I can't tell you how I'm, and they said, uh, we, we want you to take a break. Uh, uh, on the tour. And uh, maybe we need to re reassess everything. I said, oh, I, I said, from the stick around for Franklin, I go, you understand? I was making fun of how bad I was doing. And they went, well, that was one thing. They said, the other thing is Frank is very close with John Dottie. And you called him Mr. Peanut. 
And that's that, who was there. that was that was who this guy was in a top hat and white tux. Oh, and I said, OK. They said, so you're going to take a little time off and you're going to go to Reno and you're going to open for Liza. And I went, all right, that's that's a that's a gig. So that was like my that was my punishment. But it was uh, it, it was amazing how none of them got that. And they took it as a, um, you know, as, as a put down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, as I, was, I was being disrespectful. Yeah, but how cool was that though? You got to open up for Frank Sinatra, man. That's oh, I mean that's legendary, was, and even even Liza. I wish he knew. <laughs> I wish he knew. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was oh. uh, a, a lot of fun. Well, that's excellent, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for for being uh, for a guest me. on here. And uh, before we, before we let you go, um, plug your podcast one more time so everyone can t- check that sure. out. Sure, well. it's uh, it's No Prisoners podcast, uh, and uh, we talk about uh, mental wellness. I like to call it different issues from uh, addiction to to things that go bump in the night, as I call it. Yeah, and it's on all the platforms. And um, I wish you the best with this one. Uh, Excellent, man. Thank you so much. Carol and Chris, thanks for having me. We're really grateful, dude. Really grateful to have you on. You're amazing. And thank you. And I hope we talk again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hope. And make sure uh, make sure you guys too. check out uh, Brad's Comedy Club when things reopen. It's called the Brad Garrett Comedy Club at MGM Casino in Las Vegas. And uh, follow him thank on you. social media, Brad Garrett. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate Take it. Care. Thanks, everybody. Take care, Dale. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Take care. Thanks, man. Okay, Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that, was, uh, that was our podcast for today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, obviously, to uh, Brad Garrett. Uh, Daryl, did you have a great time today with Brad? I mean, that was fantastic. I had a pretty darn good time. And I, could, I, I didn't know that he did that other podcast, so obviously we did a little shop talk on that. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was it was great to listen to you guys, uh, and and obviously him tell stories about what a legendary career he's had, and man, I mean everything from opening to from Frank Sinatra and Liza to you know being you know owning a club today, and uh, yeah, he's a great dude. So if you guys haven't checked out his stand up, please go check out his stand up. It's great. Uh, like I said, follow him on all the social media. Uh, that's it for our episode today. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we will be back next week with another great episode. In the meantime, make sure you share this. Uh, like I said, follow along on the social media for Daryl. That's Daryl C. Hammond. And I am uh, at Chris Milhouse. Uh, and we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. Later, everyone.